Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. Happy New Year. Hope you're having a great beginning of the new year and if you watch the Michigan TCU game, probably most Spartan fans are pretty excited about that. Those results. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Nebraska, the, which comes into the Breslin Center on January third as we restart the Big Ten schedule, the last eighteen games before we get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, before we start, I'd like to thank those of you who support us on a monthly donation via the uh, Patreon, those in the Scott Skiles level, and also those at the Draymond Green level, including Michael Bosnick, Mark Reynolds, Jim L, James Benton, Doug Robinson. Dan Rankin and Adam Walzak, and those at the Mateen Cleves level who donate to get a free t-shirt as well, Jason Yeager, Chad Hickey, and Brian O'Donnell, and we expect those t-shirts to go out sometime this week, we hope, once you get them back and get to the, through the post office and all that. So thanks to everyone who supports the show. It really means a lot. If you want to be uh, someone who can support the show, you can go to thefinalfours.theschedule.com slash support. There you can become a one-time donor via PayPal or Venmo, or you can become a monthly donor through Patreon. All right, so let's talk about Nebraska. Nebraska was one we picked as last in the Big Ten, and I think during the Big Ten reset, we thought it's probably going to be a little bit better team, and they're not as much of a disaster as they were before last year. They're 8-6 and six overall this season, 1-2 and two in the league, but they came off a 16-point performance where they just destroyed Iowa. It wasn't even competitive in Lincoln. And then they also probably should have beaten Purdue uh, the game before that in Lincoln as well. Against Power 5 and Big East comp opposition so far, they're 4-5, and five, which not amazing, but for them it's been pretty good for uh, under Fred Hoiberg. And the first sign they've really had any decent team here in, in, uh, in Nebraska. They're 77th overall in Ken Palm, number 148 in offense, and number 41 on defense, which is a big improvement over last year's uh, 178 finish. So in offense, they're not very good from three, only shooting barely 30%, which is 316th overall, but they're number 90 from two. They still turn the ball over a lot with a ranking 228th in turnover percentage, but they're good offensive rebounding team, which is a big improvement and change in the previous teams. They're now, now ranked number 93. And uh, they don't shoot free throws very well, but they don't get there very often. And just, I think the biggest difference is on defense, they're much better than they've been in the past. They're 87th against twos and 130th against threes. And don't generate a lot of turnovers and aren't a great defensive rebounding team. But they are vastly improved over what we've seen the last few years in the Hoiberg era. Yeah, and they're, and they're really not fouling people as well, which is another big deal. They're not, they're not giving opponents opportunities at, at easy points by putting them on the line. 
Um, it is the best team of the Fred Hoiberg era. And, and here's a kind of remarkable statement. Um, it's been a while. It's been many years going back to, you know, a good portion of the Tim Miles era where we could say on January 1st, hey, at least theoretically, Nebraska has a chance at being an NCAA tournament team. <laughs> we've we've been able to effectively rule that out for much of the last oh six seven years at least yeah um can't do it right now you you recounted they really by all rights should be two and one in the league they had purdue they had ample i should say they had ample opportunity to take purdue out at home uh and just couldn't get one big shot to fall in that game. They just, they kept getting chance after chance to take the game and they just couldn't take it. But then you flash forward to, as you mentioned, the Iowa game the other night and they just comprehensively beat Iowa. And, and that to me, you know, look, you gotta, you gotta crawl before you can walk. And so what we have in terms of evidence right now with this team is two things. One, I think they're going to be a tough out at home because they beat Iowa at home. They had Purdue on the ropes at home. They weren't very good in Bloomington losing to IU in a road game. But I think in Lincoln, this is not going to be a team that, that people enjoy playing. And it's, it's really funny. Um, Fred Hoiberg to me has been the single biggest disappointment in terms of a coaching hire that I can think of in recent years, because you're, you're talking about a guy who did a very good job at Iowa state, um, then did some time in the NBA, then comes back to the college game. And I really thought not, not that I thought he'd have Nebraska winning big 10 titles, but I, I kind of thought, not stylistically, but in terms of where they sit in the conference hierarchy, I thought he would, in short order, have them kind of roughly where Rutgers is right now, yeah. where you have to take them seriously every game. They're not going to win the league, most likely, but they're going to be a pain in the ass. They're going to be in the mix for a tournament bid, and they're just not going to be any fun to play. And it's been anything but that. It's been just disaster after disaster. I don't even think I'd have to go back and look to be sure. I'm not even sure that Hoiberg has reached double digits overall in wins in a season since he's been, I mean, it's been terrible. And, and yet you look at this team, they're on the verge of doing that. They need two more wins to get there. And I think they will get those. Um, they're a pain in the ass to play and they're having success in exactly the opposite way that I would have figured Fred Hoiberg would have <laughs> success when he got this job. You mentioned the defense is substantially improved. That's not something I would have seen coming. Um, offensively, they're still largely terrible. They don't shoot threes well at all. They turn the ball over way too much. But the biggest difference is you look at the pace numbers Nebraska, the first three years Fred Hoiberg has been there, played extremely fast, like always a top 40, top 50 team nationally in pace. And I think a couple of those years they were at the top 20. So it's been 
essentially uncontrolled chaos, which is not too dissimilar from the way his Iowa State teams played, except they were much more efficient. They actually made shots. They didn't hemorrhage turnovers constantly, but they did play really, really fast. That's what Fred Hoiberg was brought in to do, and that's what I expected, that they were going to be a very, very good offensive team, kind of like an Iowa sort mm-hmm. of profile. They're going to be very tough to play against offensively. You're going to have to prioritize getting back in transition. They were going to shoot a lot of threes defensively. Yeah, they were going to have their problems, but they were going to try and go out there and outscore you. And they'd be able to do that often enough. That they'd be competitive. Well, it didn't, he tried to play that way for three years. It didn't work. They are currently, and I can't remember. I think I had the number in the notes somewhere in the two hundreds in terms of pace this year. Um, they are really slow and it's working. It's a, this is a win ugly team. If you ever saw one, but it's working. And, and even though, you know, you mentioned that record against power fives and I include the big East along with the power fives as well, a four and five record against that kind of opposition, given where Nebraska's been is glorious. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's a real honest sign of improvement. So this is a different team than what we've seen. It's a, it's a less pleasant team to face because they're still mistake prone, but not in the way and not with the frequency maybe, and the totality that they have been in the first three years since he's been coached there. It's a different deal. And, um, you know, credit to them. They're, they're, they are clearly easily better than Minnesota. I don't think there's any comparison right now, which I, I would not have believed in October that that was possible or likely, um, whether they're better than anybody else in the big 10 remains to be seen, but I can't at this point, I can't even say that I would be shocked to see them finish higher than 13th. I think it's possible. We'll see how it works out. It's also possible they do finish 13th, but there's at least the potential for better than that. And that's real progress. Yeah. Which no frankly, I think even at a place like Nebraska, I think Fred Hoiberg desperately needed this kind of season and he needs it to continue because even there, they'll eventually run out of patience. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm looking actually at the Nebraska um, records in the last, since 20. 20- 12 since Tim Miles took over. Tim Miles had 15, 19, 13, 16, 12, 22, 19 wins. And uh and Hoiberg has had seven and twenty-five, then he was seven and twenty, and then ten and twenty-two last season. Okay, so, so he did I mean, get to double digits. Yeah, so last year. Yeah, barely. Uh only because they played 32 games. But they've um, you know, right now it's they're they came into the season seven and four and then non conference and that that has got to be easily their best record. I mean, they yeah, were winning seven total sure. games before. And and again, give them credit because as opposed to some other years, they were they were actually playing and I'm I'm not suggesting they were playing a Michigan State style gauntlet. It wasn't that, but a lot of high major opposition. A lot. And, and so that is a seven and four that's actually earned. No question. I mean, they're, they're much better and just watching them defensively. They're just a lot better than they've been in the past. And that was, they really, 
they really held the Iowa in check. And now Iowa is a somewhat broken team when they played them. Um, and I don't know if Iowa is – we'll see what they turn out to be. Sometimes you just have a little funk, but they've got some problems. And I, but, but Nebraska just beat them down, and it wasn't even really close. And that game was, I think, like 20 points almost the entire game. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do you think a little bit of their pace and the, you know, before it was, we've always described their team, at least I've looked at them and thought they were just random. I mean, like there was no sort of plan. They just kind of, just, I think very similar to Indiana, although Indiana has been more successful. I feel like they now seem like a more organized team. Is that a reflection of just the fact they've, they've got a decent point guard this season? Do you think that he slows things down because now they actually run stuff? Yep. I, I do. I think, you know, Greasel is, He's not a superstar. Um, you know, there's he's not a he's not a dead eye shooter. He still is maybe a little more mistake prone than you'd like. But by comparison to what they've had out there, and the, I mean this has been it's been similar to what Michigan has been doing in the Juwan Howard era at the point guard position, except way, way worse. They just every year it's a different guy out of the portal. And they never seem to get it right. And for the most part, the guys they've had have been very athletic, who tried to play very, very fast, but played with no poise, no understanding. Um, we're going 120 in a 70 <laughs> zone. Um, and it, you know, the results were awful. They are better. And again, they're not great offensively. Let's not, let's not misunderstand it, but they are better than they've been. I think primarily my analysis would start at the fact that they actually have a guy who plays under control far more often than what they're used to and is giving them a legitimate presence, a presence that, you know, if you're his coach, I think you feel a certain level of trust in Sam Greasel. You know, where you couldn't say that with all the best thing you could say about the guys that he's had, the other guys he's had at that position is that they were players that you could see the athletic potential and say, boy, if you could harness that, you you might have something, but he's never been able to harness it. Greasel, you don't have to worry about harnessing it because he's going to play at a more controlled tempo, a more controlled pace. And you know at least that, that he's not going to just make mistake after mistake after mistake and just take you right out of a game. He's going to do enough things to keep you in games. So that alone is big progress. I think that's the biggest thing. Because you, you can't say, well, they've got continuity now because they've got guys that have been playing together for a couple of years. That's not the case. Yeah, He's still running out. I mean, it, it's a little bit. He's got two starters back. Um, in the starting lineup out of five, but the other three guys are all transfers. So it's still 60% of your starting lineup is brand new. So it's not, it's not overall continuity. That's that's responsible for it. I think it really is primarily the change at point guard. Yeah. So, well, why don't we just go through the, the starters and the aforementioned Sam Griesel, six, six senior transfer from North Dakota state. Uh, he, Definitely is playing better than they've had in the, at the point. He's averaging 10.7 points a game on 45, 36, and 66 shooting. Uh, also pulling down five and a half rebounds a game with a two-to-one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah, he's he's a a good. So again, I don't want to I don't want to overstate it. Not a superstar, but just far better than what they've had. You know those shooting numbers 
then you know, 36% from three, your jaw doesn't drop, but it's solid. You've got to respect him. Um, the playmaking numbers, he'll make mistakes, but he'll also make good, solid plays a lot of the time. Uh, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge he presents to me is that he's a legit 6'6", six, six, maybe even 6'7". Yeah, right. And so that kind of size at that position is a real advantage. Uh, not that Michigan State's going to do this, but, you know, if you try to apply pressure or you're trapping him, and he's got great size to see over that stuff. That helps. Um, and I think he just sees the floor a little differently than most point guards do because of that size. So a really good addition, you know, and he's a Nebraska kid. He played four years at North Dakota State. He was the last two years. He was an all summit guy. Um, and you never know for sure, as we talk about often here, how mid-major production will translate to the high major level. But um, in his case, it absolutely has. He's been a godsend. He's been everything I think they could have hoped that he would be at that position. So a, a great addition. Finally, they got it right. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, you certainly don't have advantage. You unlike uh, what Michigan State did against um, Buffalo, you're not going to be able to post up. You know, not Greasel. Not Greasel, right? It, it's interesting too. I wonder, is this a reflection? Is this a Tim Miles miss in recruiting uh, the, you know, the rare, good Nebraska player? Or is this a thing where, Miles is on his way out. I wonder what the what the situation was, why he ended up in North Dakota State, or if he just developed more while he's there. You know, it, it is it's a funny thing, but Nebraska, I can't remember when the streak started, but they had a run of a long period of time, like maybe five, six, seven years, that I think finally got snapped during the last stages of the Miles era, where they didn't have they hadn't had a single Nebraska kid on their roster. The, the reality is that Nebraska as a state does not produce a ton of talent. It's a, look, you know this. It's a small state, relatively speaking, population-wise yeah. to begin with. And what talent does get produced, typically, you know, Creighton being in Omaha and having basketball tradition, they've done a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes, if a kid's really good, they go out of state. I'll give you an example. Chucky Hepburn, the point guard at Wisconsin. He's a Nebraska kid. Well, he's at Wisconsin. He's not at Nebraska. Right. Yeah. So I think that's been a big part of it. Um, yeah, you could you could certainly say, well, boy, Tim Miles really missed the boat. But I, I don't know what Sam Greasel looked like in high school. So it, it's hard to know. I do know that he obviously matured into being a very good player during his time at North Dakota state. And look, I mean, if you, if you want to go after coaches, you got a lot of examples of this kind of stuff <laughs> where a guy who's under recruited ends up at a mid major and blossoms. And then the big in-state school, why didn't we recruit him? But what's different about that now in the old days, that's just a recruiting loss and you missed out. But in the modern era, this kind of thing can happen. And you see the kid come home to play for Nebraska. So Nebraska, at least they don't get four years out of him, but they're getting his best years out of him. Maybe um, Minnesota had this happen last year and, and he's still there this year. Uh, Jamison battle, you know, was uh, an in-state kid they didn't offer he didn't have any high major offers i don't believe i think he went to george washington originally 
played well there and then came back to play for Minnesota. So that's what the portal has done and, and instant eligibility for transfers has done. That's what it's changed. And the dynamic is those big in-state schools will oftentimes get a chance for a redo. I mean, and I don't want to be pejorative about this. Let's be honest. Michigan State, even before the portal era, had one of these where they were able to bring Bryn Forbes back. You know, they didn't offer Bryn when he was at Lansing Sexton play with Denzel Valentine. And he went to Cleveland State and was great for two years. And MSU was fortunate enough to be able to get him back into the fold. So, but now it's a lot easier for a greasel like situation where they just get a chance at a redo and say, oh, that, that recruitment four years ago. Yeah, we really screwed up. Why don't you come play for us now? And a lot of times that will be enough, you know? Well, it's also interesting too with COVID, which hopefully that'll be come to an end in like a year or two where it just throws off the eligibility and adds these extra years for the players. So it makes it very complicated and confusing and allows, you know, a player like Riesel has an extra year to develop, right. And become even better. Exactly. Right. This is his fifth year, which he would not have had otherwise, but for COVID you're absolutely right. Well, we can talk about one of the returning players for, for Nebraska and that's CJ Wilcher. He's now six, five sophomore averaging 9.7 points a game on 39, 34 and 63 shooting. And so, you know, can he become better uh, from outside and certainly improve that free throw shooting? We'll see. Yeah, and and his strength is as a shooter. So that number is a little disappointing. They would think that he's capable of more than that. Um, just to refresh memories, he actually was a transfer in last year. He had started his career the year prior at Xavier and then left. I don't know that he even played a game at Xavier, uh, but they definitely think that he's – um, he's a legitimate perimeter shooting threat. And, you know, the interesting thing about this team, and as we go through it, you're going to see it. One area in which they're a lot like Michigan State, um, even more so the Michigan State of last year, is they've got a lot of guys bunched in this nine to 10 points per game range, which is a positive and a negative. The negative side of it is, oh, they don't have anybody who's a true go to guy. The positive side for them is anybody is capable of having a productive night in any given game. And so that makes it, you know, the defense can't load up on one or two guys. They got a lot of guys that are producing at a very similar level. Sounds like another team I've heard of. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so next is a transfer. Not surprisingly, Emmanuel Bandumel, 6'4". From SMU, he's averaging just a hair under 10 points a game on 37, 24, and 76 shooting and also pulling down a little over five rebounds a game. Yeah, he's he's been a good addition even with the shot, the jumper not falling very well because um, he gives them uh, a wing defensive presence. and he's I've been impressed with him at times defensively. I think that's been a nice addition. So offensively, nothing crazy, but he's been solid. And again, making a difference on the defensive end and, and giving them along with Greasel a little more size. You know, you look at that, that perimeter group. So if we call Greasel 6'6", six, six, it's 6'6", six, 6'5", six, 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 at those three positions. Yeah. That's playing into their defensive success a little bit too, I think. Um, that makes sense. They can't, they can't really, they got some length 
and they can't get taken advantage of physically. There have been some times in recent years where Nebraska has been kind of small on the perimeter, and, and they're not that way with this starting group at least. They certainly gave Iowa all kinds of trouble trying to shoot from outside, and I don't know if that was a reflection of their size or just their activity level. That's one way it shows up, right? You're, you, you're able to cover more ground. You're, the shot windows theoretically should be a little bit more limited. Um, I think it helps. Next is Juwan Gary, 6'6", junior transfer from Alabama, averaging, again, 9.7 points a game on 43, 27, and 58 shooting, and leads the team, or second best in the team, with 7.1 rebounds a game. This, this is another guy, a good, a good, solid addition. Not a superstar, but he's given them, the four spot has been, uh, a sore spot for for Nebraska in recent years. I don't think they've really um, been able to solve it uh, recently. But but this guy, they hoped they hoped when they brought him in as a transfer from Alabama that he was going to be able to give them immediate help, and he has. Uh, he's helped defensively. You know, he's undersized guy, but um, big enough in the modern game to hang in there. Done the job rebounding and he's given them a little bit of scoring punch too so um not not the ideal four man in the sense that he's not a real stretch threat but otherwise he's he's upgraded the position right any production is good for nebraska they didn't need it just about everywhere so uh finally the last uh returning starter is Derek walker 6'9 senior from he was originally from tennessee and he's a good post player He's been better this year. He's leading the team in scoring and rebounding, averaging 13.6 points a game and 8.1 rebounds a game, shooting 66% from the floor. Uh, terrible from the line at 55%, but doesn't really shoot a lot of free throws. Yeah, just a good player. And, and people may remember, he gave MSU fits last year. And, and at the time, it seemed like, well, MSU really didn't play well. But I think as Walker has, he came in, the COVID year, I think he, if I remember correctly, I think he became eligible in January. So he didn't play the entire year, but once he started playing, he made a difference and he got better last year and he's better again this season. He's a really nice player. I mean, nothing about him wows you. He's six, nine, which is pretty average size for a post player. Um, not, a particularly gifted athlete, not a particularly skilled guy. I think he's only attempted one three this year, so he's not going to stretch the defense, none of that stuff. But he knows exactly who he is. He plays within his limitations, and he does that very, very well. Um, he's going to be a handful because he's kind of a more than a guy who overpowers you, and he's certainly not an explosive athlete, but he's clever. And again, he's got a good understanding of angles, good understanding of how to use his body to create a little bit extra space to get a shot off around the rim. And he's a, and he's a good finisher. He knows what a good shot is. So when you can do those things and you have certain physical gifts, which he does, he's got enough size, he's got enough strength, he's mobile enough, you could put together a pretty good season, and that's exactly what he's done. He's their best player. I mean, there's, I think Greasel is their most important player because of the position he plays and the upgrade he's provided. But Walker is their best player. Well, so much in life, the importance is knowing what you are 
I think absolutely right in all parts of FS is a life. How how often do we talk about guys that you look at and you say, well, why does he shoot so many threes? He's a terrible shooter, <laughs> right? You know, and and when you see guys that are able to be productive and who clearly are not doing things that are outside of their capabilities. That's a positive. You know, some people would choose to see it as a limitation, but it, it depends on how you're looking at it. I think there's something to be said for knowing who you are and playing that way. Yeah, no question. All right, we'll move to the bench then, and we'll start with Kisai Tomananga. He is a 6'2 junior guard uh, from his returning player, I don't know if he's, I think he's originally from Japan, I think. He is. Yeah. He very much so, yeah. And uh, averaging a little over 10 points a game, 10.6 points a game on 46, 38, and 100 shooting. I, I, I kind of chuckled when you mentioned it. This guy is, now Andrew Funk at Penn State has come in <laughs> and is giving him a run for his money, but they are the two leaders of the clubhouse by a wide margin in terms of the most patently ridiculous shot selection <laughs> you will ever see. But this guy last year, it was insane. I mean, he could, there was no spot inside half court that you could rule out for him <laughs> taking a shot from and no point in the shot clock. No, I, there's no concept of, Oh, did he take that shot in rhythm? No, it's always in rhythm for him. Apparently. Um, but uh, this year, I don't think the shot selection is markedly different from what I've seen, but he's a little more efficient with it. He's hitting, you know, 38% from three, you'll take that, you know, and he's a double digit scorer. So he's a weapon. He's a, for a team that doesn't shoot threes well as a group, he's a guy you have to be conscious of because again, there is no such thing as a bad shot for him. So he will take them from anywhere, any point in the shot clock. You know, it 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 could get hoisted at any time. So you have to be conscious of that. He doesn't do very much else. Um, not a great defensive player. He's certainly not a playmaker. None of those things. But as a as a mad bomber, and I mean <laughs> emphasis on mad. Um, there there are few like him. So I, it, when I'm, when, when they're not playing Michigan state, I could be entertained by him because <laughs> it's just such wild basketball. So next is Wil, uh, Wilhelm Breidenbach, a 6'10", 230 pound sophomore. Didn't play much last season due to injury. He's averaging 3.9 points a game and 3.2 rebounds per game in about 13 minutes and shooting 39, 17 and 57. Yeah. Uh, the, again, the, the, not that he's taken a ton of threes, but that 17% mark that, that this kind of gets back to the, know who you are. They're, <laughs> they're just glad to have him back though, because they were really high on him. He's uh, from out of California. Um, and, uh, Southern California, I think he played at, at modern day, which is a long program with a lot of tradition. Uh, so they were really excited by him and he got hurt early on. Now they've got him back and. You know, the best thing I could say about him is he's providing solid backup minutes behind Walker. They're going to they're going to go with Walker. They're going to ride Walker for heavy minutes, but he can't play 40. And so Breedenbach is giving them at least competent backup minutes, and they still think he's got the potential 
uh, to do more than that down the road. But for now, they'll take that much. And yet another backup of the five is Blaze Keita, 6'11", 230-pound Juco transfer. Uh, so he recently kind of rolled his ankle, might be injured, so not sure if he'll play, but he was playing about 11 minutes a game, averaging a shade under three points a game and four rebounds a game. Yeah, and, and he didn't play against Iowa, which is why I would say he's questionable for this one. But, yeah, good physical tools and, you know, those rebounding numbers especially, that's good production yeah. in limited minutes. So yeah, this is another spot where you have to give them credit and say they've gotten better. Nebraska has had, and this goes back to Miles, very rarely was he able to solve the five spot. Um, but it's been a massive problem under under Hoiberg, or was his, say, his some of his first two years. Walker really solidified it, and now they've got actual credible big men behind him. So there's some depth. Um but it's, you know, you'd have to say now you look at the totality of the Nebraska playing group at the five when they're all healthy and say it checks in maybe even above average. Next would be Jamarcus Lawrence, 6'3", freshman guard, averaging 1.5 points a game on 29, 36, and 50 shooting in limited volume and just plays about eight minutes a game. Yeah, and he started to play a little bit more as his freshman season is going along, so provides some backcourt depth. I mean, they're they're going to ride those starters, and and uh, the uh, Japanese kid uh, the heavy minutes, but they they still need a little bit of help elsewhere, and that's what they're getting from him. Finally, six six freshman wing Denim Dawson, who I guess you'd say basketball's in his genes. Uh, anyway, he's averaging, <laughs> oh, he's averaging 1.4 points a game on 33, 29, and 50 shooting in about 10 minutes. Yeah, they like him for the future in terms of uh, having that good wing size, and, and they think he's a pretty good athlete. But, um, you know, more limited contributions this year. But, again, lengthens the bench a little bit at that spot. They're not going to turn to him for a lot of minutes, but he'll probably see the floor. Okay, we take a brief little break, and then we'll come back with the keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So the number one key to the game is the defensive glass. Uh, Nebraska, not a great shooting team. They're a decent offensive rebounding group. And, you know, they're not a great defensive rebounding team, but we've seen that that doesn't seem to make much of a difference with Michigan State as far as ability to offensive rebound. So, you know, I think, you know, maybe you can almost just say rebounding in general would be kind of interesting in this game. Yeah. um, 
this is a big it's this we talked about different areas where nebraska's got better but the biggest change by far this year is offensive rebounding um where did they do you have the numbers for do you remember where they check in nationally i mean on offensive rebounding they're number 93 so pretty good top for, third well you have to that that's why i asked because if you look over the three previous years of the Hoiberg regime, they've been in the 200 plus and closer to the 300 and the 200 right. all those years. So it is a significant uptick, even if they're not an overwhelmingly great offensive rebounding team for them to be in the top 100 marks serious progress. Michigan state, as we've been talking about has gotten back on the beam as a defensive rebounding unit. They've been pretty damn good. Yep. And it's going to be a test here. Nebraska, again, not a powerhouse offensive rebounding team, but much better than they've been. When you're facing a team that doesn't shoot the ball particularly well, it becomes really important to choke those possessions off at one and done. So if MSU can hold Nebraska under 30 per, the 30% mark in terms of their offensive rebounding rate, I think that's a win. Yeah, I always think it, you know, early Michigan State with under Tom Izzo, the best offensive play was actually the offensive rebound. And I felt like Absolutely. it was not a great shooting team, but they offensive rebound at a crazy rate. And they, you know, again, we've talked about defense are out of position. You're oftentimes close to the hoop. Anyway, it's a lot easier getting those second chances sometimes than the initial one. Uh, so then going to the next key is transition. Michigan State has shown. Uh, some signs of life, I guess, on the transition now that Malik Hall's back, and he's although he won't be full speed for sure for a couple more games. You know, are they going to be able to get a little bit more going? And now, especially now that we said one of the problems of their transition game last season, and maybe even the season before that, is defensive rebounding wasn't very good, and so you couldn't really get out running. Oftentimes, now that's cleaned up a little bit, and we've seen them run much better. And I thought Buffalo was actually pretty good, pretty good game running the game it was not great but it was pretty good yeah they've against oakland and against buffalo were really the first time since the beginning of the season that msu started to show some actual signs of life for the transition game and you know it's not a coincidence that it's happening as they're getting they're getting their roster back at to somewhere remotely close to full being full strength. Um, those two things are going to go hand in hand, particularly when the two guys that are hurt are your two are two of your wings. Um, I was going to say your two starting wings, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's a big, that's a big reason for it. Um, look, I, I Michigan state's probably not going to hang 30 fast break points on Nebraska, but I do think this, when you're talking about a much improved defensive team like Nebraska is and one that seems to want to get this game into kind of a grinding half court kind of tempo. The number of opportunities to get out and run and get easy baskets where you're not operating at set defense, the more of that, the better, you know, and they're not going to have, I, I would think they're not going to have a ton of opportunities for that but whatever they can get would be welcome. It'll be interesting to me to see how disciplined Nebraska is. When we've seen Nebraska against Michigan State in recent years, Michigan State has usually been able 
to get out and run because Nebraska wanted to run. They wanted to play a free and easy game. They don't really want to do that this year. So it's going to be interesting to me to see if Michigan State can maybe force some of that to happen. Yeah, and I would say just in the Iowa game, where Iowa got work done on offense was if not during actual fast breaks, it was, you know, before the defense gets set, because once it, once Nebraska was set, they're really t- difficult to score on. Uh, the next key to the game will be shooting threes. So Michigan State is shooting 38% from three, which is really good. They're what top 30 in the country. And they're going to need, that's one of the advantages they have and they have to exploit Nebraska there. I just think with, with this MSU team um, built the way they are, and I, I do think some of the areas that have been weak have a chance to get better. I think they're going to get better in terms of their ability to score efficiently inside the arc. I think Billy Call being back helps that. Yep. I think Jade Nakin starting to get back to full strength helps that. Um, maybe the maturation of some of the younger players is going to help that. But the bottom line is this team needs to shoot the jumper well in order to be good offensively. So They've been, it's funny too, because sometimes you can have a team that is sitting where they are at like 38% from three, but there's not a lot of consistency. They'll have a game where they're in the high forties and then they'll have a game where they're in the high twenties, you know, and it, and there's a lot of it's wide variance. That has not been the case with this MSU team. I haven't gone back and checked all the numbers, but just anecdotally, my impression has been they've been very consistently maybe mid thirties to 40% as a team game in game out. There's been, you know, we've talked about a guy like Joey Hauser beat somebody that they can really rely on. And that's part of it, but other guys too, there just seems to be, it's an area that you've been able to count on this year. Not too high, not too low, just very steadily, very good. And that's going to have to be a key component of what MSU does offensively the whole year. If they have games where they're really struggling to hit threes, it could be hard to score enough points. Yeah, and I just looking over those numbers, your, I think your your impression is correct. The only time they shot poorly was against Gonzaga where they shot under 20%. They shot 18.8%. But actually, yeah, that you just tossed that one out. Yeah, right. Yeah. That was a weird game. A win, year. And, yeah. Alabama was 29%, and everything else has been over 30, if not 40%. So it's been a yeah. uh, pretty, um, pretty good effort. Uh, so then going on to number four would be staying aggressive. Kind of different change in play, or at least a different approach against Buffalo. 30 free throw attempts, driving to the lane and getting a lot, drawing a lot of fouls. And just being aggressive at the rim is was a big difference. And, you know, can they do that against Nebraska will be, I guess, the next question. Yeah, and it's a, it's a much stiffer challenge because, as I mentioned at the outset, um, one bit of Nebraska's defensive profile that's been very helpful to them is they don't commit a lot of fouls. And so if you're Michigan State, can you – one aspect of this is can you force them to commit more fouls than they typically do. One way you do that is by being aggressive. But then another element is if they're not fouling you, are you able to get to the basket and, and put the ball in the hole? Are you able to get production from being aggressive? It was, I thought the Buffalo game was the most aggressive 
offensive approach across the board, meaning it wasn't just one guy, it was a lot of guys uh, that I can recall in quite a while. And I think if they do that consistently, that's going to pay dividends, not just in getting more free throw attempts, but also in, in just generally improving your offensive production in an area where it needs to get better, which is scoring inside the arc. Um, but this will be a stiff test because, again, Nebraska is built to not make those kind of mistakes, to not be fouling excessively, giving the opponent easy chances to score at the free throw line. Um, so if Michigan State could, if Michigan State could even get, you know, into the low to mid twenties in terms of free throw attempts in this game, that would represent, I think, a really good effort. Right. And finally, uh, post play, you know, Walker, Derek Walker has been the best player for Nebraska uh, and he's played well against Michigan State in the past. So is the post defense better this year for Michigan State with Sissoko than over Bingham? Maybe I, I question, and especially now with Hall back, we'll see what happens, I guess. You know, Mar- Marcus Bingham, to be fair to him, Marcus Bingham was a pretty good defensive player all the way around last year. He was he was much improved in pick and roll. Um, he obviously gave them a shot blocking presence that, that Madi doesn't quite equal. Um, but Madi is stronger and we're going to start seeing as we're back in league play and it's going to be a steady diet of big, strong guys that you're seeing night after night after night, that'll get tested. And Walker is a good place to start. You know, Walker is not a guy that gets hyped. But this is a productive player who's big enough and strong enough to do damage. Um, it's a good test for Michigan State in this game. I don't think they have to win the matchup individually. But what you want to see and what would be a good sign is what we've seen out of Madi on a frequent enough basis that I think you can you could feel good about the fact that it's not fluky. Uh, he's had games where he's been matched up against true all Americans and held his own yeah. the way he played against Timmy, the way he played against uh, Oscar in the Kentucky game. You know, he's had these, these moments in these kind of matchups. This one isn't on that scale, but Derek Walker is a very good player. And so what you want to see from Michigan state again, he doesn't have to win the matchup in terms of production, but you want to make things tough on Walker to score and get him out of his comfort zone and then do enough as an offensive player, give him enough to think about at the other end that you're doing, you know, you're doing good work there as well, which in Madi's case means, you know, rim running in transition when the opportunities are there, making himself available via good screen and roll action to, uh, you know, dive to the rim to be a lob threat, those kind of things. Yeah, so looking at this game, it's going to be at the Breslin Center on January 3rd. It's, again, the reopening of the Big Ten season. I think in, in other times, you know, if Michigan is coming in 2-0, let's say they beat Northwestern, I think you worry a little bit more about this being a potential trap game with Michigan coming up on Saturday. Uh, I think there'll be a little less of a concern with that. And, I mean, obviously, I mean, Nebraska's improved. They're not a team you can just roll the ball out and beat like uh, like they have been in the past. And they've, I feel like they've always played Michigan State pretty tough. They tend to kind of run out of gas at the end of the game. But this is this is going to be a game they have to put, show up. 
Yeah, there have definitely been some games that were tighter than you want. There have been ones where they actually pulled off the upset. You know, that hasn't happened a lot, but it has happened uh, during the Tim Miles era. I don't think Hoiberg's got a win over Michigan State, but uh, Tim Miles did. Um, you know, MSU, I think, is a seven-point favorite, which feels ballparkish, about right. I'd say, you know, anywhere from there to about 11, 12 points feels about right to me, in part because I, I think Nebraska is going to do everything they can to make this a low possession game. Yeah. So you're not going to get the opportunity to go up and down the floor and get a ton of shots up. They're going to use clock and they're going to hope that their defense is stout enough that they force MSU to use clock when they've got the ball. Um, I, I think the other thing that helps in terms of what you were talking about is the fact that they just took out Iowa and did so, you know, comprehensively. Yeah. Uh, that that's good enough that it'll, it'll get, the teams that it should get the MSU teams attention, you know, and I think you're right. I, I don't think that um, if MSU were to lose this game or were to struggle, I don't think it's because they didn't take Nebraska seriously. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good, and, and I, I talked about this. I alluded to it in our last podcast, the, the Buffalo post game, this game and the next one against Michigan, I think are really important. They're, they're critically important if you want to be taken seriously as any kind of Big Ten title threat. That much is for certain because after that, you've got consecutive road games coming up in Madison and Champaign, and then you come back home to face Purdue. So that's a three-game gauntlet that I haven't, I haven't looked at the entirety of the schedule but I would be surprised if there's a tougher three-game sequence than that, given the nature of who you're playing and where you're playing them. So if you're Michigan State, you really need to get these games that appear a bit more easily winnable. Not to say they're easy, but by comparison, relatively speaking, they're ones that if you're serious about things, you find a way to get. So it's, it's an important game for MSU for Nebraska. It's important because they're just trying to build any kind of sense of continuity and confidence. And so to go on the road to East Lansing and spray an upset like that would be a huge deal for them. Sure. And, and as you mentioned before, this is not a team with a 0% chance of making the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, there's not eighteen yet. games yeah. and they're in the mix and you know, they're, not even on the bubble or anything like that, but they can put themselves there with some big wins. That's, that's exactly it. If you look, if you look at last year, for example, and you look at the profile that a team like Rutgers had, I would say I'd have to go back to confirm this, but my recollection is I would say Rutgers was in significantly worse shape at a similar point in the season than Nebraska is right now. Yes. They had, they had less on their resume, positively speaking. And, and yet, because they play in the Big Ten, they had enough opportunities. Michigan, too. Michigan last year started the year 7-7 seven and seven and managed to get to the NCAA tournament. And the way they did that was they won enough games because the Big Ten gives you enough opportunities that they were able to put themselves in that conversation and get there. Same thing for Rutgers last year. So Nebraska is not any worse off at the moment than those two teams were at a similar some of a point. Uh, the question is what they do with it from here, but 
yeah, if you're Fred Hoiberg and you're Nebraska, th- this is an opportunity. It's sure. nothing more, nothing less than that. And so on the Michigan State side of things, that's what you're facing. Going into the season, I think our expectation was the Big Ten was going to have a worse profile than than they do. And so I think, you know, these games that we thought there weren't going to be a, as many opportunities for quality wins has changed. I think there are far more opportunities than we thought. And so a team like Nebraska has just every yep. opportunity to get there. And by that token, too, look at Michigan State. You know, this team is not guaranteed the NCAA tournament, obviously. Uh, they have to win. And these are the games you absolutely have to win. If you have any design for the Big Ten Championship, which I think this team has every reason to think they have they have an opportunity to win. So you, right now, you just have to take care yeah. of business right now, right? Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. It's I think it's very important. First of all, it's always important to defend home court, and they've already blown one. So you don't want to you don't want to blow another one at Breslin. You know, you want to stop the bleeding at one loss. You want to be nine and one at home when, when the curtain right. draws on the right. ceiling on uh, the season. So you start that, you know, one at a time, you start that with this game, then you get Michigan and, and then you see how things go from there. I mean, Michigan state certainly got work to do itself. And, and you can't just assume that these things fall into place. You got to go out and actually win these games. The, the thing about the, the number of quality wins available is a good point, though, because if you look at it, I mean, Nebraska itself is, what do we say, they're 77th in Ken Palm? Yeah. That's, like that's that. outside the usual range that you would find a tournament team in, but not massively so. Certainly in a spot where, and basically every game you play in the Big Ten except Minnesota is a chance for a quality win. Right. I mean, that's just how the league is set up. You've got one team for the moment that's sitting outside of that category and everybody else is inside of it. So, yeah, if you're Nebraska, there's no reason to think you're out of anything at the moment. You have you have nothing. You should have nothing but confidence in terms of where you are, because you've largely played very well against a decently tough slate of games. And now. You're into the thick of the Big Ten. The opportunities are going to be there. You just have to find a way to take advantage. Well, we'll be back after the game to talk about how Michigan State did. And we'll see you then on January 3rd. Also, I'd like to offer a plea. If you could, please go to your podcast player, leave a five-star written review for our show. It helps other Spartan fans find our show and continues to help it grow. But until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.